Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. If I've not met you, my name is Kevin. I serve as one of the pastors here. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite characters in any story or scenario. Behind every great legend and every great hero, there's typically a sidekick, a best friend, a BFF, a ride or die, if you will. Someone that may seem less important for us on the outside, but if you were to ask everyone who was involved in the inner story, and especially the hero or the legend themselves, this might be the most important role involved. Think about how important this list is. We've got some pictures coming up on the screen. Without Goose, there's no real maverick, is there? Think about Scottie Pippen, all right? Michael Jordan is definitely the GOAT. That's never been debatable. But what is debatable? Would he have been the GOAT had it not been for Scottie Pippen? And what would Wayne's world be without Garth? (laughs) Jimmy Fallon without the Roots? They got a ring in the soundtrack, right? Let's see, who else we got here? Ricky Bobby without Cal. Shake and bake, baby. Who's hyped up on Mountain Dew this morning? Just kidding. You got it? Okay. (laughs) Shrek needed Donkey. Han Solo needed Chewbacca. Batman needed Robin. Frodo needed Sam Wise. Napoleon Dynamite had to have Pedro Sanchez. And Rocky would eventually need his once enemy nemesis, Apollo Creed, to help him out as well. These are the legends behind the legends. And the best sidekicks weren't just the ones that helped with the mission. They were the ones who were incredible friends as well. And if you've ever had an incredible friend or a best friend in your life, you know just how important and valuable they can be. Even if it was a childhood friend, when you think back at the value they brought to your life. C.S. Lewis said it like this. I love this. He said, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it's one of those things which gives value to survival. I love that. And C.S. Lewis learned about friendship from the same source that teaches us about friendship, which is the Bible. Friendship is something that God created and that he talks about the value of. In Proverbs, it says this, friends love through all kinds of weather. And families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Weather is unpredictable, right? There's great days and there's bad days. And friends are the ones who are there no matter the circumstance that you're walking through. In fact, friends can become as close, if not closer, than family. It also says this in Proverbs, friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. So what makes someone a great friend? What makes somebody a great sidekick or a better question today that I would invite you to be asking is, what can I do in my life to become a great friend? Who do I need to be in order to be a great friend? In the Bible, there is an incredible friendship told in the story of one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. This friendship was displayed as we watched this king 
whose reputation preceded his reign as king and his legacy and his legend has continued on for generations, even to this day. He would be one of the most powerful kings as far as military was concerned. He wrote much of the Bible and Psalms that we get to read. And through his lineage came the savior of the world that changed everything. Know about the Bible or not, you've probably heard of King David. This was an incredible king. But had it not been for the friendship of Jonathan, David may not have had the same success or the same route to success, and it's possible that David may not have even had the opportunity to become king had it not been for the pivotal role of the friendship of Jonathan. And Jonathan wasn't just supportive in the mission that God had assigned for David. He was also loyal and loving as a friend. In fact, he would die relatively early in their life before David would become king. And in 2 Samuel, this is how David described their friendship. He said, oh, my dear brother Jonathan, I'm crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle wonder. A love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hope to know. This was a friendship that was closer than family. It mattered deeply. And it made a huge difference in who King David became, which affected our world and is still having a lasting effect today. The value of friendship can literally change the world, not just your world, but the world. And so today, I wanna learn three things. We're gonna look at the story of, of David and Jonathan. We're gonna look at highlights of their life. And I wanna look at three things we can take away about truth that you can find in a great friend. Number one, a great friend is selfless. A great friend is selfless. A lot of times, what starts a friendship or what's an easy way to start a friendship is if we have common interests. You like the office? I like the office. Awesome. Let's be friends. Pickleball's picking up. I know you guys talk a lot, almost like CrossFit. It's what I've been seeing in the gifts, right? CrossFit is people that do CrossFit are friends. People that like South Carolina Gamecocks are, are friends because misery loves company, right? <laughs> common interests do bring people together. Jonathan and David had some, some common interests and some things about them that were common. They were both fearless warriors. There was a time in, in Jonathan's life, okay, he was a leader in the military, and they were getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines, and his dad was the first king in Israel at this time, King Saul. So they were, they were camped out, King Saul's gonna get a plan together, and he's looking around, and Jonathan's gone. Jonathan kind of skipped out, snuck away. He took his armor bearer with him. And Jonathan's up in the hills and all like in this moment he sees a group of Philistines and, and he's bold, he's brave, he's going in for the attack. There's 20 Philistines. He tells his armor bearer, hey, basically just file in behind me, clean up the mess, all right? Jonathan goes in single-handedly, takes out these 20 Philistines. This dude was courageous, he was a mean machine, he was a leader, and because of his courage and because of his bold, um, bold like steps and victory, he, he became famous and he got leadership opportunities as a result under King Saul. Well, David 
had courage as well. Similarly, a story that you've probably heard is this time when this giant showed up to pester Israel and the army and the nation. This is Goliath, who was over nine feet tall, and he challenged Israel to a duel, a one-on-one fight to the death. And there was no one in the Israelite army who was willing to take on Goliath. Not even the king who everyone had appointed was the one that was taller than everyone else. King Saul, he wouldn't step up. And as bold as Jonathan was, Jonathan wasn't stepping up in this moment. But here comes the shepherd boy who had grown into a young man at this point steps around just to check on his brothers and and he hears what's going on he says this guy is defying the armies of the living God I'll take him on and so David steps in and if you know the story took a sling and one shot and he killed Goliath and his fame would grow and he was a leader and courageous as well both of them were fearless warriors but that might be where their commonalities stopped Because actually, there's a lot more reasons why Jonathan and David should have never been friends or gotten along. Listen to where Jonathan came from. He was the son of the first king in Israel. He came from a royal family. He instantly had riches, influence, power, fame. This was was a privilege that he got to grow up in. He was trained in military right from the gate, and he was the oldest son. You know what that means when there's a king and you're the oldest son? That means that you're probably the next king, right? This is the track that Jonathan's life is on and and where he comes from. David, not so much. David comes from the country, He he was a shepherd with his family out in this small rural area, and he was the youngest of eight sons. He was the runt. He was the baby. David was a dreamer. He was a musician. He was free flow. He was creative. He was poetic. And there was a time when David was super young that the prophet of Israel at the time, Samuel, showed up at his house searching for who would be the next king. When God made it clear that Saul would not forever be king and there was a better king in store, Samuel's out looking and it turns out that God had placed aside David to be the next king. So Samuel anointed him to be the next king. So there's these rumblings in Israel of this young shepherd boy that God had appointed and anointed to be the next king. And then he would show up to take down Goliath. Now, when he took down Goliath, that was after Jonathan took down the 20 Philistines. So in other words, there was this moment where Jonathan is the esteemed future king. He's a hero. And then there's this young guy coming up, and Jonathan is quickly becoming a name of the past because everyone was interested in what was happening with David. In fact, they were more interested in David and David's power than they were even in Jonathan's father, who was king at the time, Saul. This is how the people were describing David as his fame grew. In 1 Samuel 18, this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul was threatened by this young, anointed, young man that's raising up to to be a future king, and his jealousy started to rage, and we'll read in a moment, but Saul really started to go after David to try and protect the kingship, 
And as we read about these two men and where they came from and how this story is playing out, I think any of us would have given the benefit of the doubt to Jonathan to also feel as his dad felt. Wouldn't it make sense for Jonathan to be jealous of this guy as well? Wouldn't it make sense for Jonathan to not want David's favor and fame to keep progressing because it would keep him from opportunities in his own life? That would totally make sense. But instead, Jonathan put David in front of his own opportunities and he put God's plan in front of his own selfish desires and so right as David's fame really starts to go right after, grow, right, this is right after Goliath, this is when Jonathan said, I'm not taking the bait of the jealousy. I'm gonna choose a friendship. Let's read. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is right after he has taken down Goliath, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now that's an important detail because this is a representation of Jonathan saying, I'm laying down kind of my, my seat, my future, my hope, my royal spot, and, and I'm gonna give this over to you, David, as a symbol that I am your friend, even though you're getting the seat that I might hope to have one day. This is a selfless act that steps out. A great friend is selfless. They're willing to give up their spot for someone else. Now, this is a great picture of friendship but if you're looking to find friendship, I don't recommend that you go find someone today and take off your tunic and row and toe and belt and all that and hand it over. I was thinking back to um, Katie and I had just moved to town. And, uh, you know, when you move somewhere new, you gotta, you're starting over when it comes to friendships and making friends. And we were out to dinner with, with a group of people um, from the church. And there was a couple there. And we were like, hey, um, we'd love to, you know, hang out sometime. Like maybe play board games or something like that, just kind of feel it out, see if they, you know, take the bait, like, let's, let's hang, we're just trying to build friends, and we could tell that they were like, yeah, you know, we'll find a time, but it's like one of those where, you know, they're saying they'll find a time, but you're never gonna find a time, right? And so, literally, Katie and I were like, look, um, what, what do we gotta pay to give up a Friday night for you guys? Like, we will literally pay you to come to our house, and we, can we pay you to be our friends? <laughs> literally, we'll take friendship. A great friend is selfless. You don't need to be desperate in finding a great friend or enforcing a great friend. It's typically just gonna be in some simple ways that God might have you put someone else in front of your own opportunities, to put someone else's interests in front of your own even if you don't have much in common to put their life in front of yours, that is the making of a great friendship and that is the type of friendship that Jonathan chose to engage. Number two, a great friend is consistent. A great friend is consistent. Because of David's fame and Saul's jealousy that was continuing to grow, we, we saw that his jealousy was happening, Saul really started to attack David. He tried to kill him on multiple 
occasions. There was times that David would be playing music for Saul, and David would, I mean, Saul would throw spears at David, literally trying to kill him. And as this progressed, he invited Jonathan in to help. Let's, let's read. It says, Saul, um, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you and then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So Jonathan is now invited by his dad to kill his best friend or to be a part of the killing of his best friend. And I don't want to skate past how difficult of a position this might have been for Jonathan. This is his father, a hero in his life growing up, the king of Israel, the one that had trained him up. And his father's kingship was, was threatened, which also meant his was threatened as well. But then there's his best friend. And he's now caught in a conflict between two people that he loves. Two people that are, that are plotted against each other that he wants to be able to have both in his life together. He wants unity. He wants reconciliation. And he's got hope that his dad may not follow through with this, but he's also got hope that David can outlast all of this. And so he, he honestly warns his friend because he remained consistent that he's gonna stay loyal to his friendship even though he's caught in this difficult place. Let's keep reading. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David. He's going to contend for his friend, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time that he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. He remained consistent and he got involved and he was defending his friend David and, and Saul listened this time. But that wouldn't last long. There'd be a later opportunity where there was a party going on and David chose to stay at bay and stay at a distance because at this point in his life, the way that David described his life is that he felt like he was one step away from death. And even before this, Jonathan said, I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna find out like how serious this is. Jonathan always still held out hope that his father wouldn't follow through on killing David. Rather than just jumping all the way into David's camp, he still kind of held inside of this tension of his love for his father and his love for David, but he remained consistent and honest. And so at this party, when David's nowhere to be seen, Saul presses his son, Jonathan. He says, as long as that son of Jesse, that's referring to David, as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. I mean, he even pressed like the spot that just might make Jonathan jealous. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father, what has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, his own father, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. 
He remained consistent and honest, even to the point that his own father tried to kill him in this rage and in this jealousy. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a situation where two people you love are in conflict or at odds with each other, but it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're kind of in the middle, but you're not directly like a part of the problem. You're just, you're connected to both people and you have a hope that there would be unity and a hope that there would be reconciliation. This is a really difficult place that Jonathan is in. And there's a couple of ways he could have acted that I think are a couple of ways we often act when we're caught in situations like this. One of the ways that he could have acted is he could have chosen avoidance. He could have chosen to avoid every single time that David had a concern about Saul or that Saul was wanting David killed. He could have just quickly said, like, if David's bringing up Saul, he's just uh, uninterested, changed the subject, not going to warn David about things. Think about if he didn't warn David that Saul was going to kill him at one point. I mean, at any point, Jonathan could have avoided and this thing could have been a mess, but instead, he chose to still be engaged because of himself, like his loyalty to be a consistent friend and a consistent son. And he didn't avoid things. When Saul really started, uh, when, when Saul would, would, would uh, diss David and everything like that, like he still chose to be engaged and defend his friend. But another way that we act when we don't avoid is sometimes we act like a chameleon. You know what a chameleon does? They change colors based on their environment. And I don't think anybody would have blamed Jonathan for this, especially considering that his dad's jealousy drove him to the point of almost killing him. A chameleon in these situations would, would literally transform to fit the mold of whichever relationship he was sitting in. Yeah, David, you're right. My dad's absolutely crazy. He's never going to come around. Absolutely. You're like, this is, this is nuts. Then you go to Saul. You're right. Who is this guy? He's vying for our, our royal throne. What is he doing? You're right, dad. You know, I, I'm totally in on this. No, he didn't choose to be a chameleon. He chose to be bold and consistent in the way that he loved both relationships. And that consistency made a huge difference in David's ability to be ready for attacks and stay alive. A great friend is consistent when you're in the room and they're consistent when you're not in the room. Number three, a great friend goes out of their way to encourage. A great friend goes out of their way to encourage. David would spend a lot of time running at this point. He would hide in caves and he hid in a city and Jonathan realized how serious Saul's hunt had become. In fact, Saul continued to turn up the heat. 1 Samuel 23, it says, Saul hunted him day after day. I mean, this was an obsession that was going on. But God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Saul is hunting this guy non Stop! And David knew that he was getting closer and closer. Again, David felt like he was one step away from death. Think of how discouraging this must be for David too. 
Like David, once a war hero, once catching fame, being told by a prophet that you're gonna be a future king. He's down and he's out and he doesn't see an end in sight to all of this. And Jonathan, in the meantime, had not run off with David. He remained faithful to his role in Israel. He remained faithful to his role as a military leader. He remained faithful to his relationship with his dad, not being dishonest about his friendship with David, but, but faithful, holding in that tension of, of the middle and being faithful with what God had assigned him. Yet, he went out of his way and even risked his own life and his own reputation at this low moment in David's life to encourage him. First Samuel 23, Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're gonna be the king of Israel and I'll be next to you as my father. Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord and then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. Have you ever had an encouraging word come at just the right time in your life? There is nothing like it. When you are in a rough moment, a low moment, and that text message comes through from a friend, or that phone call comes through from a loved one, or that visit shows up, or that card shows up, there is nothing like an encouraging word that comes at an opportune time. It gives us a second wind. It lifts our spirit. And this encouragement from Jonathan was right on time. Encouragement is so important. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote this to a church that was learning at the time what it meant to follow Jesus. They were new to their faith. He said this in 1 Thessalonians, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encourage one another, build each other up just as you're doing. Like continue to do this. It's so crucial. This encouraging moment where Jonathan would go out to find David and give him that second wind, this would be the last interaction they would actually have. This is the last interaction at least that we have written down of an account of them seeing one another. It wasn't too long after this that Saul's pride continued to get him in trouble and Saul's pride would eventually cost him his life and Jonathan's life. And after they would pass, not long after that, David would become king. And he would become the most successful king that Israel had seen until Jesus. He established an incredible military power. He expanded the territory that God had promised them. He gathered everything that was needed for the temple that would be built by his son later, which was such a key moment to almost cement for Israel the, the knowledge and, and the peace that came from the fact that the presence of the Lord would remain there in their nation. This was so key. And then, like I said earlier, King David wrote most of the Psalms. And the Psalms give us such a picture of God's character, of who God is, but they also give us a beautiful picture of the relationship that we can have with God. If you've not read the Psalms, there are days that are high and filled with joy, but there are days that are sorrow-filled. 
where there's pain, where there's fear. There was an honest relationship. David was described as a man after God's own heart, and his psalms are still having an effect today. And then it would be through David that God made the promise that there would be a future king that would establish a kingdom once and for all that he would protect and save God's people forever. The Messiah, this was Jesus. Jesus would come through the lineage of this epic king, King David. And here we are over 3,000 years after this, and King David's epic reign is still having a ripple effect, even right here. But who would King David have been had it not been for Jonathan in his life? I think we all may have come in contact with some of David's story at least. And if you're familiar with Jesus, it's it's easy to make connections between King David and who Jesus was, that King David would be an early picture of a better king that was to come. But Jonathan seems like a lesser character, and what I would say today is that Jonathan actually shows us an incredible picture of who Jesus is and wants to be in all of our lives. Because while Jonathan was an incredible friend to David, there was an ultimate friend that was coming in Jesus at one point. In fact, John 15 describes Jesus' friendship this way. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends since I've told you everything that the Father has told me. Jesus is a friend who perfected these three initiatives that we talked about today, these three points. Jesus went out of his way to encourage us. This word is filled with encouragement for you and for me in our life. Words that he's given us, a love letter that he has given us to encourage us through all the trouble we face, through all the fear that we face in this world, health issues, issues in society, issues in our family, in relationships. He's got instruction and encouragement for us. And he came out of his way from heaven, gave up his seat up there to come here to make sure that we knew that God was real and that he was for us and that he is an encouraging word that is lasting for all of eternity. He's also consistent. He's consistent when you're in the room and he's consistent when you're not in the room. There's actually a conflict between you and our heavenly father Not because our Heavenly Father is trying to kill you, but because of sin that separated you from a holy and perfect God. And right now, Jesus is going to bat for you on your behalf. He's pleading for your case, for your salvation. And if you'll call on him, the Father receives and accepts that reconciliation. Jesus wants to be the reconciliation between you and his Father. He is so consistent. And he is so selfless. Just as Jonathan gave up all of his royal attributes and said, David, you can have this. Jesus gave up his seat on the throne in the kingdom of heaven and he humbled himself to take on your seat and my seat as a human. To offer his hand in friendship and to lift us up in his kingdom to have a seat at his table. 
Jesus is a selfless friend. Some of you today need to make the decision to say yes to his friendship, to allow him to save you. And we'll give you that opportunity in just a moment. For the rest of us here today, my, my prayer, my prayer is that some of you would be inspired walking out of here, looking at the type of friend that you're choosing to be in your life. And that you'd be inspired to kind of run through this filter and learn from Jonathan, say, how selfless am I being in my friendship? How consistent am I when my friends are in the room or when they're not in the room? And, and do I go out of my way to encourage? Some of you today, you might just think up an opportunity just to go out of your way and shoot a text to somebody. Send an encouraging word, and it might just be right on time. How powerful can that be? But I also know that some of you in the room today want to be inspired, but you feel a little bit lonely. You're listening to this list, and you're like, man, like, that's awesome. And I know friendship is valuable, invaluable is a better way to put it, but I don't have any close friends in my life. And I feel alone right now. I want to encourage you with this. In, in 2020, Katie and I moved here, and it was a big step away from what we had in, in Nashville at the time. We had community, our family was right there, and make no mistake, best decision of our lives. We absolutely love what God has blessed us with here in the community that he's given us. But in those first few months, if you've ever moved or gone through a transition, it can be difficult. And it can be especially difficult when it comes to relationships and friendships that you're leaving. And I, I remember I was talking with a mentor from a previous season. I was just sharing like, and I know God called us I know that this is an incredible season that we've got in front of us. But I'm just feeling a little bit lonely today. I just, I don't have the depth of friendship yet. And I know it takes time. I wasn't like, I wasn't being unrealistic. I was just being honest. And this mentor wisely encouraged me at this time. He said, Kevin, he said, there's gonna be a day, you're following God, there's gonna be a day that God's going to bless you with community you've never known friendship you've never known. And I gotta tell you, we've got better community today than we did when we left Nashville, I promise. God has delivered on that. But his encouragement at this time is he said, maybe God is allowing you space right now so that you can see that Jesus wants to be your best friend. That Jesus desires to be the one that you lean on. When you have a hard meeting or a hard conversation or things are off with your spouse and, and you look for that friend to call or that coffee to set up or that place to go, like Jesus wants you to be able to trust him to have that conversation first, to talk to him first, to, to ask for advice, to listen. He's given you an encouraging word right here. You got a thousand text messages and more right here from him. Like lean into that friendship and see what kind of a friend. He's the best friend you could ever have. And I just started to look at all of my instincts in my life. And I started to ask God to give me the reflex to turn to my greatest friend, Jesus. And God so blessed our relationship 
through that season and he used that season. And so if you're here today and you're lonely, I wanna encourage you. Jesus wants to be your best friend. He's not just King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's absolutely that and he's absolutely Savior and Messiah, but he's also friend and he wants to call you friend and love you as a friend deeper than family. Can I pray for us today? God, we love you so much, and Jesus, we thank you for your perfect friendship. We thank you for your patience in friendship. Lord, that even when we reject your friendship, even when we keep you at bay, even when we, when we struggle to trust you, you patiently wait with love. You're consistent behind our back. You're not plotting against us and you're not turning away saying, that's it, I'm done with you. You continually wait and you extend your arms and you offer friendship. And so today I pray for my friends in here that feel lonely. I pray that they would lean into you as a friend right now. And God, for those of us in the room that have friendships, I pray that we would be inspired by you, Jesus, to allow your spirit to empower us to step up in our game, like step up in the way that we are a friend, that we would represent your love so well to our friends and this community around us. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to save you from your sins, the best decision you can make to open that friendship is to receive salvation that he offered for you. Receive the friendship that he offered for you. And you can do that today by just saying this, Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I need a savior. I believe you came here to earth. I believe you lived a sinless life but I believe that you took my punishment on the cross. And because God raised you from the dead, I'm calling on you to save me. Save me from my sins and be my friend. And I'm gonna commit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.